0: The Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed. Listen to what God says through the uh, writer to 2 Samuel. In the spring of the year, the time came when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, and David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba The daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. And she returned to the to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And David, excuse me, and Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him, a present from the king. But Uriah slept door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to you, Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said, "The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my Lord Joab and all the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field." Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with his servants, with the servants of the Lord, of his Lord, excuse me. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah on the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And Joab was besieging the city. He assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. And Uriah the Hittite also fell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to you, O God. Let's pray. Almighty God and loving Father, you trust us with your word. We just w- read these sweet words from you. I pray, Father, that your word will be treated with honor in these next few moments, that you would guard the mouth of the speaker, that I would not add to or take away anything from your word, that you would guard the ears of the, these hearers, that we would treat with honor your word. We would be diligent to listen, that we would be inspired to live in a way that reflects not only the position we have in you, but also the great privilege we have to serve you and honor you as an expression of praise and worship. Guard this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope you notice the theme of the service. The theme of the service is irresistible grace, God's irresistible grace. We did that on purpose because we wanted to emphasize this. Uh, in, in, my, in, in the sermon, I, I'm going to point to you, and I'm going to warn you and say, do not do something. Uh, and when I do that, before I do that, I want to remind you Uh, But I'm not saying do these things or don't do these things to earn favor from God. The magnificent grace of God teaches us that through Jesus Christ, we already right now have favor from God. So in other words, nothing we do today will cause God to say, I like you a little better. Uh, You've impressed me because God can't like us any more than he already does in Christ. We can't gain any more favor from God than has already been granted to us through Jesus Christ. So what we can do, though, is through our lives and an expression of gratitude to what he has done, we live our lives in the way that we avoid behavior that reflects poorly on him And live in a way that pleases him as our way of saying, thank you, God. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for placing us already in the position of favor. Grace moves us to action. As we continue our study in the life of David, I remind you that there is a major theme that begins in Genesis And continues even through Samuel. And the theme is, God has a right to make his choice. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he clearly says that he chooses a deliverer, a redeemer. And that redeemer is Lord Jesus Christ. And he said the seed of a a woman would uh, crush the head of the serpent. And that that seed was undoubtedly Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, listen to how Matthew puts this. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 23. She, speaking of um, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place filled fill what the Lord hath spoken through the prophet. Behold... The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, excuse me, which means God with us. Not only did God choose a deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, in 1 Samuel we read that God chose a king, and he chose a king who would be after his own heart. And we know that by choice of God, was not only a human king, but also a divine human king. One who was God-man. And it's that God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to remind you uh, that as Luke chapter 1 celebrates, um, talking with Christ, Luke says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God's choice in king was made sure in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we've been studying the life of David uh, in First and now 2 Samuel. And just to give you a little uh, taste of what the Near context is. I'm going to start with 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David said to God, I want to build you a house. I want to build a house for the tabernacle. And God said, and I'm paraphrasing, God said, I don't want you to build me a house. If I wanted a house, I would have asked the prophets to build me a house. No, I want to dwell with my people, and so I dwell in tents. I'm going to build you a house. And so God promised three things in 2 Samuel 7. He, he promised to give Daniel, oh, uh, Daniel, <laughs> did it already. Um, David, a name, a great name. And then he promised to give him victory over his enemies. And then he promised to set uh, his people in a kingdom. 2 Samuel chapter 8, that great war chapter, If you read that chapter, you see that God did everything that he said to David in chapter 7. He gave him a great name. You'll read that in that chapter. Uh, That chapter is a description of God giving him um, victory over all his enemies. And then lastly, as the chapter ends, uh, God is describing the kingdom that has been set up, that God gave uh, Israel a place. God kept his promise uh, to David. David. Now, chapter 9, David uh, shows kindness to Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was uh, crippled. Uh, He was the son of Jonathan. And what would normally happen um, when a king conquered uh, the uh, former king, he would destroy all of his descendants because he wouldn't want any of the descendants to rise up against him. But instead of doing that, he showed hesed, loving-kindness, to Mephibosheth. Uh, And in chapter 10, David desires to show hesed, loving-kindness, to uh, a son of an enemy, Hanun, uh, the son of Nahash, the Ammonite. Uh, Both chapters uses the word hesed, loving-kindness. But then there's a shift In chapter 11, the shift is this. David goes from giving generously to grabbing greedily. Instead of giving, he's taking. Chapter 11 is one of the most widely known stories in the life of David. In fact, I think the second most quoted psalm is because of this chapter, Psalm 51. Uh, Psalm 51, in the beginning of uh, Psalm 51, there's a title, and in Hebrew, that title uh, is part of the Hebrew text. It's part of the Bible, and that title will tell us it was because of what Nathan said about his sin with Bathsheba, Uh, and because of that, David wrote, and he repented, and he pleaded out to God uh, cries of repentance in Psalm 51, and I think... Possibly Psalm 32 was on his mind as well as he penned those things. But as we look at uh, 2 Samuel 11, I want you to remember two things. I want you to to remember first, like David, our propensity to sin is unchangeable. Even during the most uh, faithful times, even during... Uh, God's blessing. When God's blessing is poured out on us, we are still predisposed. Pre- we are still bent on sinning. Secondly, God's faithfulness is unchangeable. Put another way, you can't resist the grace of God. We're not going to get to it in this passage. But as we continue in the um, book of 2 Samuel, you'll notice something. God did not rescind his promise to David. He did not say to David, because you sinned, I will no longer keep my commitment. Nothing will change the mind of God. So as we think about David, how did he get from uh, being one who gave generously to grabbing greedily? But before we talk about that, I I want to ask you a question. How can a man, after God's heart, sin like this? In 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, Samuel is reporting what God said. Listen to what Samuel said. The Lord has sought out a man, out a man, quote, after his own heart, end quote. How can a man who was chosen to be king, who was identified as a man after God's heart, do something like he did in 2 Samuel 11. But the first thing I want to remind you is that after God's own heart doesn't mean that his heart was like God's. Uh, That when God looked for a king, he said, I want a king whose heart is like my heart, is after my heart. That's not what after means. Uh, After means that his heart is is drawn toward God. It goes to God. And that's demonstrated in the next chapter. I'm not going to preach the next chapter. That's one of my favorite chapters in 2 Samuel because Nathan confronts David. And uh, I would get to say, you are the man. But I can't say that because Pastor Heron is going to preach that chapter. (laughs) Um, Actually, I think I just said it, didn't I? (laughs) But um, what you what you notice in that chapter is that David quickly goes to God. He repents, and he's driven toward God. It's unlike Saul. Saul was a man who whose heart was bitter and angry, and resisted God's direction. And David was drawn toward him. Uh, That's the proof. What made David special? Have you ever wondered that? There are two things that made David special. Number one, God chose him. And number two, God made a covenant with him. God chose him, and he made a covenant with him. You know what makes us special? Those of us who believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, God chose us, and God made a covenant with us through through the Lord Jesus Christ. We share in that. David was not the ideal king. Uh, He was a good king. He was often a faithful king, but he was not the ideal king. Jesus Christ is the ideal king. The Westminster Shorter Catechism answered question 26 and tells us how Christ rules as our king. Listen to this He calls us to Himself in salvation and devotion. God calls us to himself uh, into a relationship with him, but he also gives us the ability to actually love him and be devoted to him. It's not only left up to us, it's God's spirit working in us. He rules over us by providing safety and security. Nothing occurs to the believer in Christ except that it passes through the loving, sovereign hand of God. He provides for us. He defends us from our enemies, and our enemies are spiritual forces of evil and death. He restrains evil. He says to evil, you can only go this far and no farther. He conquered death for us so that death has no power over us. In this chapter, chapter 11, you'll notice a switch from chapters 9 and 10. In chapters 9 and 10, you read David giving loving-kindness or wanting to give loving-kindness and in chapter 11 he's taking 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 how did he get from a giver to a taker I think there's a proven pattern uh, that's demonstrated in uh, David's actions Uh, you know what makes this event in David's life so horrible at least in my opinion In my opinion, the thing that makes this event so damaging is that a man of power and authority abuses a woman and kills her husband. A man of, of authority and power abuses a woman and kills her husband. And just in case you think that God was so pleased with David that he kind of winked at David and said, you know, Your sin wasn't that bad. I I can give you a pass in this. Look at the last verse in chapter 11. Look at the end of that verse, verse 27. And you will read this, quote, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Another way to say that, it was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not excuse David. And if you doubt that, stick around or read this afternoon, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and God will make clear that he did not approve of David's actions. Let me give a brief word about Bathsheba because she appears in this text. I'm not going to vilify uh, Bathsheba um, and say that it was her fault that David did what he did for three reasons. Here's the first. The text does not give us any reason to vilify her. And, and some of us would say, well, she was bathing on the rooftop. Shouldn't she have expected somebody to see her? And historians tell us that in that time, for one neighbor to look on the uh, over the battlement of his house and into the inner court of another house was Something that you, everybody knew. You just didn't do that. You just wouldn't do that. And so I think that Bathsheba had some expectation of privacy. And even if uh, David, by accident, glanced and saw Bathsheba, he should have been like Joseph. Uh, Joseph, when he was in Potiphar's house, he, uh, he turned and ran. And, and, and David in my opinion, should have just turned and run when he saw Bathsheba. Second thing about Bathsheba, I'm not going to vilify her, because Bathsheba was not rebuked for her actions as David was in 2 Samuel chapter 12. When you read that chapter, God does not send Nathan to rebuke Bathsheba. And then the last reason is a little more subtle. Uh, as you look at verses 3 3, and 26, you'll notice that God refers to Bathsheba as, quote, the wife of Uriah, the wife of Uriah. I I think he does that to remind us that David was the one who broke the covenant marriage of a woman from her man and killed the husband. I'm not going to blame Bathsheba for David's actions. I'm also not going to blame the fact that David was in uh, his house uh, during the time of spring when people went to war. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't uncommon, according to 2 Samuel 10:7. 7, it wasn't uncommon for kings to stay home at times. Sometimes his men said to David, Don't go into war. We don't want you to go into this dangerous position. We want to protect you. So I'm not going to blame him. You know who I blame? I blame David. I, I don't think that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and that made him sin. I don't think it was Bathsheba bathing herself that made him sin. I think as James chapter 1, verse 14, he was, quote, lured and enticed by his own des- desire, and he sinned. But I see in David's um, life a warning for us. I think there is a proven pattern of sin and sinful action. And I think the first time this pattern was seen is in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve saw with their eyes and desired the fruit, Genesis 3:6. Genesis 3:6 also says they took and ate. And Genesis 3:8 tells us that they hid They protected their sin. They were protecting themselves from the consequence of sin. And I think this pattern is seen in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Notice with me first, David saw, look at verse 2. Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of his king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. He saw and desired. Secondly, look at verse 4. Verse 4. So David sent his messengers and took her. Incidentally, that's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter uh, 3. He took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. He took. And then uh, lastly, he protected, or he hid. He tried to hide his sin. Look at uh, 2 Samuel 11, verses 6 through 8. I'm going to read that. Listen to verse 6. So David sent a word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. And look, and then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. Now he did that because he wanted to cover up his sin. The text tells us the first time he did that, it didn't work. Second time he did that, it didn't work. And then he killed them. He did everything he could to try to hide his sin. Here's a warning. Uh, I have a friend, I I don't see him, Will Brooks, is a fireman. When you're on on fire, they tell you to stop, drop, and roll. So I'm going to say, when you notice these dangerous situations in your life, stop, drop, and repent. Stop doing what you're doing. This is where I'm pointing. Drop to your knees and pray to God in repentance. Don't follow David's horrible example of unfaithfulness by trying not once, not twice, but three times to hide sin, to protect sin. Own it and repent of it quickly so I'm going to end with a picture of an unfaithful king. I think there's a fascinating contrast in this chapter between Uriah and David. Uriah was a warrior. He was one of David's mighty men. David was a mighty man of war. He was victorious in his military campaigns. He was God's anointed king. When you look at these two men, I want you to notice... contrast. First, David. David took what didn't belong to him. Uriah gave his life. We see that in verse 15 and 24. He was willing to fight and he, he even put himself or allowed himself to be put in a very dangerous situation for the honor of Israel and for God. David, on one hand, showed dishonor. He took what didn't belong to him. And Uriah showed honor. I love what Uriah said. Did you catch it in verse 11 when David said, go home? Why why aren't you going home? Your wife is there. Um, You can eat. You can sleep. You can relax. I'm giving you this time to to go home. Why don't you go home? Listen to what uh, Uriah said. He said, the ark and Israel, this is verse 11, and Judah dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And in my mind, I think, you know, the angels in heaven, when they're looking at this, and they're saying, don't let them get away with this. Don't let him get away with it. And Uriah says, I'm not going home. They're going, yes! He's not going to fall for it. Yes! He didn't get it. But David didn't stop there. David got him drunk. See, David was a man who was ruled and controlled by his own greed. Uriah, even though he was drunk, in, in my household growing up, we said that there was alcohol, And liquor and liquor was a strong drink and I think that David gave Uriah liquor because he was drunk but he still didn't go home he's still honored from all accounts Uriah wasn't an Israelite he was a Hittite because the Bible tells us Uriah the Hittite you know Hittites were uh, people who were supposed to be conquered and completely destroyed during the conquer- um, conquest of the Promised Land. Um, I'm guessing, but I think that Uriah was probably not a child of the covenant. And yet he honored God. David was a child of the covenant, and he didn't. Uriah was an elite soldier, one of David's mighty men. Uriah only appears in scripture in this text and one other time in 1 Kings chapter 15 uh, and a parallel passage in 1 Chronicles. Um, But in chapter 15 in 1 Kings, there is a summary statement of David's life. And I want you to hear this. It says this. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. What a sad commentary on the life of David. His life was summed up with, faithfulness to God, except this one moment in his life where he took, he saw, he took, and he tried to protect his sin. Robert Robinson's song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, uh, gives gives us an opportunity to heed the warning that I think 2 Samuel chapter 11 gives us. He said in his text, there's a problem in that song, the third stanza. There's a problem that many of us face, but there's also a solution. Here's the problem that many of us face. Let thy grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Then he said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Many of us find ourselves at times, no matter how faithful we want to be, that our hearts are drawn away. We are prone to wander. Here's a solution. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it. Seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. And it's through that sacrament that God takes our hearts and he seals us. He seals us for the courts above. Let's pray. Almighty God and loving Father, we, many of us can say that there are times when we have wandering hearts. We are prone to turn from the God we love. We thank you for never turning from us. Through the Lord's Supper, we ask you to seal our hearts to you and prepare us for thy courts above, in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand.